Well, we have begun the great holy season of Lent. Ash Wednesday was just a few days ago. And Lent, as we know, is a season of penance, of prayer, of preparation for Easter. But Lent is also a season of war, warfare, spiritual battle. And I'd like to kind of dwell on that theme a little bit. Um, maybe you noticed this was, this was very clear in the opening prayer on Ash Wednesday, if you went to Mass on Ash Wednesday, the collect of that day. Now, that's the very first day of Lent, and this is the very first prayer of the season. It goes like this. Grant us, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting this campaign of Christian service so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's full of battle language. I mean, campaign, uh, weapons, uh, armed, uh, uh, that's that's weapons of self-restraint, battle against spiritual evils. Maybe this is more striking to me now and maybe to us as well because we live in a time of war. I mean, the the world is at war. Uh, You can't help but, but... if you ever look at the news or, or pick up any news, it's always about war, especially now with Gaza uh, and the, and the uh, terrible conflict there between Hamas and the Israeli army and the, and the millions of people caught in between those two armed forces. And then in Ukraine, a, a war that's just dragging on and on and on. And then the uh, tensions in the, here in, the, here in the, uh, Asia with China and the South China Sea and the West Philippine Sea and Taiwan and North Korea is making all kinds of uh, threats and then there are places in Africa that are torn by war and Pope, Pope Francis has said that we're experiencing a third world war piecemeal. <laughs> that seems to be what we're facing. So as terrible as that is, uh, what, I, what I want to do today is, is take that language of war or that understanding of war and use it for our benefit, for our spiritual battle. Because war in the world has, is a messy, uh, uh, ugly business and it's never 100% good against 100% evil. There's always this mixture of good and evil. But when it comes to the spiritual battle, we have a, 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 a different situation and that's important for us to understand it so I think that's why I'm thinking uh, on this first day of, uh, this first Sunday of Lent, when Jesus enters into battle, we can, we can benefit from reflecting on, on the battle, battle language, battle imagery. Maybe what, what uh, has stood out in my mind recently is the innocent victims in Gaza. There's many, many, especially the children. I know, I know the language. The language of the combatants is everybody is a combatant. But the truth is, there are a lot of people there who are just innocent victims, or just bystanders. They can't fight. They can't defend themselves. But in the spiritual battle, there are no bystanders. I mean, maybe little children still. They're still innocent and they can't make moral decisions. But anybody who's capable of making free moral decisions is is a soldier, even children. That's, that's why we invite children to participate in, in Lent as well, because everybody is in this spiritual battle. And, and the gospel today brings this to mind because this is what 
Jesus did. Jesus, or the Spirit, drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. That's all it says. It doesn't give any description about the temptations like the other Gospels do. No, nothing about turning stones into bread or throwing yourself off the temple or anything like that. So we're not given the dynamics of temptation. In fact, the way St. Mark describes it, it's kind of matter of fact. That's just what Satan does. If, if you're going to encounter Satan, he's going to tempt. So don't be so surprised. That's, that's what Satan does. As if we should take it for granted that we're going to be tempted. We should not think, oh, I'm not going to be tempted anymore, or I'm going to spend my Lent not being tempted. No. Everyone's tempted. Jesus is tempted. We're tempted. Everyone's tempted. We're in a desert. That's the world. And we're here for 40 days, meaning 40 years, <laughs> meaning the whole of our, the whole of our life. And, and we're here because we are followers of Jesus. Jesus went into the desert 40 days. We enter into Lent for 40 days. And this time is a time of contest with Satan. Now, we know that at the end of the 40 days, the warfare is not over. It's, it, it, it continues even into the Easter season. But for, for our purposes here, we're going to take Lent as a time to intensify our, our training for the lifelong spiritual battle. Because we have to decide whose side we're on. I mean, it's, it's clear from the description who the main opponents are, Jesus and Satan. Jesus and Satan, not, not even us. I mean, we're, we're like the foot soldiers here. Uh, we're, we're part of the battle, but we're not the, we're not the generals. We're not in charge of the whole thing. Jesus and Satan. And, and Jesus deliberately went into, and the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert, especially to face Satan for our sake. He didn't have to do it for his sake. He did it for us. So there should be two things that are very clear to us at the beginning of this Lent and as we discuss the battle the first thing is that God is on our side. We're in a battle, yes, but God is on our side. He, 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 Jesus came to fight for us. Th that should be clear. In fact, I, I take this lesson also from the first reading where we read about the covenant with Noah. The whole point of that is God saying, I'm not going to wipe out everybody again. I'm going to give you a sign of my dedication to you, the beautiful rainbow. It's a sign that I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't want to be a God of destruction. I'm not going to use water to destroy the world. It's a little bit of a hint toward baptism, as you know, <laughs> because water now is a, not a flood of destruction, but a saving bath. It's mentioned in the second reading. But the, the point I'm stressing here is that God is on our side. God is here for us. He wants us to be victorious. In fact, he is victorious for us so that we can be victorious. The second thing that is among the basics, first of all, that God is on our side. Secondly, in the battle between Jesus and Satan, Jesus never loses. And Satan always loses. In the battle between Jesus and Satan, Jesus never loses. Satan is the ultimate loser. And I say it that way because we have to decide whose side we want to be on. 
on the winning side or on the losing side. Now, when it's like that, it's easy to make the decision. But, you know, with temptation, it, it, he, it, Satan makes it difficult to see. Okay, well, that's why we have to understand where we are. Because in any battle, and there's a, there's a principle of warfare that's, that, that's taught when, in the training of soldiers, know yourself and know your enemy. Know yourself and know your enemy. We have to know ourselves, meaning we know our strengths and our weaknesses, our, 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 our gifts and our bad habits, even uh, experiences of loss. And what we have learned from those experiences, that's all part of self-knowledge and it's very important. As we progress in the battle, we should get, we should become better soldiers. Yeah, we, we also know our weaknesses better. It doesn't mean that we don't have them. It doesn't mean we're not tempted, but we know how it works. That's part of our training. But we also have to know our enemy and, and become aware of how Satan works. I think in courage, people are pretty aware of the tricks of Satan. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean people don't get trapped, but it's not as if it can be completely taken by surprise because Satan is, is a liar all the time. He's a very tricky liar all the time. He's a tempter all the time. And once that gets exposed, say, okay, this, that's just what he does, then we can have our guard up against him. And what he does when he, when he, when he lies, he, he tries to make evil look good. Sometimes he makes good look evil also, but especially he makes evil look good. This will be good for me. It goes all the way back to our first parents in the garden. It'll be good for you to eat this fruit. No, it won't. <laughs> no, it's not. But that's how he, his lie uh, deceives us. And, and this is important to know, that he will do anything, anything, any lie, any trick, any deceit, any distraction, any half-truth to draw us away from God. Okay. So what are our weapons? Well, first of all, we've been baptized. We've been set free. <laughs> That's the, the flood has, is already over and the rainbow is already in the sky. So we already have the sign of victory. Uh, but the weapons that were mentioned on Ash Wednesday, I, I, I know you know them. I'm going to just uh, review them briefly. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. First of all, prayer. We cannot survive in the battle if we don't have communication with God. If we don't have a, a living communication with God, if we're not praying, we are losing, guaranteed. Because our strength comes from God, it does not come from ourselves. So if we're not praying, forget it, we're losing. So prayer is, is, is essential. And when I, mean, when I say prayer, I mean the whole, the whole uh, package of whatever strengthens our spiritual life, reading the scriptures, attending the mass, uh, any devotions, uh, the, the sacraments, especially confession. I, 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 you know the value of confession. So confession is a great spiritual weapon. Okay, prayer. Fasting, meaning anything that puts, that, that puts our disruptive nature in its place, any kind of self-discipline, any kind of self-denial. It, it includes not eating certain foods or not eating at certain times, yes. But it's more than that. It's, it's practice in saying no. We can't make progress in the battle if we can't say no. We have to be able to say no to the insistent demands of our nature. And we have to practice doing that because our nature is constantly going to make its demands. And that's the way it is. That doesn't change, in fact. Maybe when we're, when we're uh, you know, homebound, uh, bedridden or something. But 
even then, you know, that nature is very, very selfish and broken. So say no to nature, no to the expectations of the world or of the culture. That's where a lot of temptation comes from. And no to all temptation. Now, when I say no, it's no with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just be tough and, and fight temptation. Uh, it, Fasting is done with guidance from the Holy Spirit and strength that comes from God. We're not just being tough here or just training ourselves. We're participating in the training of God. And then that's prayer fasting. And then almsgiving. Almsgiving, I always say, is a code word for love of neighbor. Taking the effort, making the effort to do something for others. If it's giving a donation, okay, a donation. If it's, if it's being patient, Okay, if it's, if it's an act of kindness, an act of generosity, uh, any kind of charity is under the category of almsgiving. And these, these are very powerful and essential weapons in, the, in this spiritual battle. Now, we're just starting Lent, so the reason I'm mentioning this now is because if we want to get, if we want to have a fruitful Lent, we have to have a personal Lenten program. Make your own decision, what prayer are you going to practice during Lent? What fasting are you going to practice during Lent? What almsgiving are you going to practice during Lent? Everybody has to do that. Even if it's very simple, make a decision about it. Otherwise, it, nothing will happen. And when nothing's happening, we're losing the battle. Okay. Now, I want to bring up two other things that come up from today's psalm. I take them from the psalm response. The psalm response is, your ways, are Lord, your ways, O Lord, are love and truth to those who keep your covenant. Your ways, Lord, O Lord, are love and truth. So love and truth are also our weapons because those are the ways of the Lord. Love and truth. Truth is more powerful than lies and love is more powerful than hatred. And we need both. We need both love and truth. I, I think you know this well. I, I was reflecting a little bit on the whole rainbow thing. Naturally, it comes to mind when people hear about rainbows. They think about the LGBT uh, advocacy and LGBT world because of the rainbow or the pride flag is a rainbow flag. And, you know, there's something you can't, you can't blame the LGBT world for taking the rainbow. It's a beautiful symbol and it comes from God. I mean, it's beautiful. How can you say anything against a rainbow? <laughs> And, and so that's true. And if it's taken to mean that every color of the rainbow is a gift from God and every person is, is loved by God and has dignity that is granted by God, well then yes, of course. Of course, yes to the rainbow. That's love. But love and truth. The truth is that God calls us to repentance. What does Jesus say in the gospel here? <laughs> Uh, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, if we omit that part, the part about repenting and believing in the gospel, well, then we're not, we're not conveying the full truth and we're not conveying the real meaning of the rainbow. The rainbow is covenant with God. Uh, God is promising to be on our side. Our, our part is to be on his side, not to declare our own agenda. So, I don't have to explain that to courage, but, but we know the rainbow, as beautiful as it is, has also been mis, um, misinterpreted or misappropriated. And that's, that's a sad thing because when Jesus says the time of fulfillment is here, he's talking about a fulfillment of the covenant that goes all the way back to Noah. Okay, 
Love and truth. Now, let me just say this about the lies of Satan, because Satan, it's not clear from the gospel, it just says that Satan tempted him. But it's clear from, from experience and from the wisdom of the church. Satan lies about God and Satan lies about us. Actually, he lies about everything. But he lies about God. What he says about God is that God doesn't really care that much about you. That God is not really listening to you. That God probably has a grudge against you. That God wants to punish you. That God's angry at you. That God's tired of you and all your failures. So if you ever hear that lie, identify it as a lie and dispel it with the truth. The truth is God is love and God loves us. And that's all he does. He never changes. Okay, so lies about God, dispel them with the truth that we know about God. Lies about us. What does Satan tell us? And he's doing this all the time, whispering in our ears, you are, you can't change. You've tried enough times already. Why don't you give it up? There's no hope for you. You'll never be good enough. The only way you can be happy is to do this or do that or get this or get that or look at this or look at that. That's the only way you're going to be happy. So you might as well just give in and do it. Take care of yourself. Do what you want. Prayer is a waste of time. That does not, that's not going to make you happy. Just do what makes you feel good. Ever heard those lies? <laughs> you've heard them today. I mean, I, not just from me, but you've heard them today. I mean, that's, that's, that's the constant uh, background noise in everybody. There's a, there's a lie that says, if you want to be happy, you have to do this other thing that is outside the will of God. Lie. It's a lie. How do we dispel that lie with the truth? The truth is, and each one of us can say this with absolute conviction, I belong to God. God loves me. I am a, a, one of his precious children. He loves me so much, he would die on the cross for me. That's the truth. God does not want to oppress us or deprive us or to leave us unhappy. That, that's not God's plan. So if we are feeling oppressed and unhappy, well, maybe, there, maybe we're outside the will of God, or maybe we don't understand what God is doing. That's, that's part of what happens too. Anyway, the fact is, Jesus has already come, overcome Satan. That, we actually celebrate that. From the beginning of Lent to the end, Jesus has overcome Satan. He defeated him in the desert. He defeated him through his whole public ministry, casting out demons right and left, exorcisms everywhere on every page of the Gospels. He defeated him on the cross. We have a great picture of the cross here. We've got a little uh, skull here and the symbol of death. Defeat of death. And, and death is Satan's greatest weapon, right? And it's defeated on the cross. And then, of course, Jesus defeated Satan in rising from the dead. So as we enter into Lent, as we enter into the battle, into the war of this, the spiritual war of this time, we do so with confidence, even with joy, with confidence in the victory of Jesus Christ, that victory which he shares with us. That's what we're doing in Lent. We're, it's, 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 not, it's not a hopeless battle. It's not an endless battle. It's a victorious battle. It's a battle that's been won already by Jesus Christ, and we are entering into it, opening ourselves to the grace won for us on the cross. So that's, 
a little picture to get us started with Lent. Amen.